Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Check out the new Thin Green Line podcast hosted on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. It's a members-only podcast where Game Wardens John Norris and Wayne Saunders talk about wildlife law enforcement, the outdoors, environmental subjects mixed with current events, and what members want to hear. Join them and become a part of the Thin Green Line. Guidefitter is the industry network for professional outdoor guides and outfitters the trusted destination for consumers seeking and sharing guided hunting and fishing experiences of a lifetime, and the enterprise influencer marketing platform for outdoor brands. Guidefitter and its members represent the pulse of the guided hunting and fishing industry. Guidefitter's outdoor partners provide discounts to select types of outdoor professionals, including game wardens, members of the military, guides, outfitters, and other outdoor professionals. Over 145 brand partners and counting gear across many categories, including packs, footwear, clothing, flashlights, knives, optics, even firearms and ammo. For more information, go to guidefitter.com slash wardenswatch. That's wardenswatch, all one word. I'm Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and I'm a member of Guidefitter. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. This podcast is brought to you by Maine 
Operation Game Thief. And Wildlife Heritage, a foundation of New Hampshire at nhwildlifeheritage.org. And International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, episode 32, is going to be Eric Blanchard, main Game Warden. And I was talking to John about this earlier. I've known Eric for like, it's got to be 20 years, maybe a little more. And I didn't really know Eric, so that's a pretty awesome thing when you get to sit down in a podcast and interview people you know and really delve into their background, their likes, their dislikes. And, the, you know, you're going to see the title is, this one's The Professor. And I really never knew how <laughs> smart Eric was until we sat down this and found out he teaches physics at uh, the Navy shipbuilding in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Oh, no, it might be in Maine. Uh, that's that whole. It's actually in Maine. Eric's from Maine, yeah. so he'll claim it's Maine. And I guess we, we did this whole thing through history because Portsmouth, we, we share the Navy shipyard. It's always the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. Well, it's Portsmouth, New Hampshire, right. but it's on the main okay. on the main side. It's it's. I should have got into that with Eric because he would have got right into that too. <laughs> but John, I mean, you know some game wardens out there, and sometimes doesn't it surprise you at some of the talents are out there? Like, and I'll say this: you you were in a band and you sing, and that kind of surprised me about you because it's not too many singing game wardens, singing cowboys, not game wardens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting, and Eric's podcast is going to be so cool, Wayne, because I mean, a physics professor. You know, no pun intended. He is truly a professor. Yeah. And at that degree of intelligence, and he has chosen to be a game warden because of his love for our wildlife resources, Ab- you know, and yes. um, like, like you, I, I spent a career around people that were so diverse. I mean, guys on my met team, one of our now a lieutenant uh, and a helicopter expert is an orange farmer and one of the premier orange farmers in the central Valley of California, where the your cuties, all your oranges, you know, really, really, really orange, uh, uh, agricultural industry is and an expert fabricator and welder and the stuff this guy's built and the successful business he and his family had doing that in addition to being a game warden was just crazy we've had you know country artists you, you mentioned you know my singing the hobby part of it up here in mm-hmm. montana with area 56 our, our little you know cover rock band we've had true country artists actually get recording deals that were game wardens and had that you know that conflict of uh-oh I just said, I can actually make a living singing now. I didn't see that coming, but uh-huh. now I, I might have to, I might have to leave my enforcement job. Um, you know, we've had it engineers, um, very successful business owners that just finished that career out and kind of hold it part-time and been dream, you know, had a dream to be a game warden. And suddenly they do that in their, in their mid to late forties. 
right? You know, after a successful tech industry as an engineer or, or military a, no, career, business owner. We, we have some that retired yeah, 20 years out of the military, roll into being a game warden and fits yeah, kind of nicely too. Do. It's one of the best fits, man. And I know from, especially the latter half of my career in special operations with the marijuana enforcement team, those are the guys that made that team so effective, a retired Navy SEAL that was in for 20 years, mm. you know, and now he's a game warden to kind of wind down and all of a sudden he's ramped up and operational again in, in, in special operations. But the wealth of knowledge they bring to that side of the job that doesn't seem traditional is just so awesome to have on both sides of the fence. And, and that experience is, you know, I mean, it's priceless yeah. for what we do, stock and game, field craft, camouflage, all of that kind of stuff. So, mm. yeah, we, Eric's one of those. Yeah. And we have them in our ranks all over the place, and the diversity is pretty cool. Absolutely. We have multi-talented game wardens. When I first came on, my uh, Lieutenant Doug Grilinski and my Sergeant Mike Moody, uh, Mike Moody could do anything. The man from welding to carpentry to – it was he was just so talented that – you know, you want a decoy, he'd, he'd make a decoy. Boom, decoy. Made one out of plywood that got yeah. shot and earned, I think it earned over probably $15,000. It's a piece of plywood, but he just did it so perfect that, you know, people shot it all the time. And he's just a talented, talented guy. So I, I'm all these guys we work with, and Eric's just one of those guys I get to sit down with and get into his history. He's the kind of guy that really likes to do the investigations, the crash scene investigations, whether it's snowmobile ATV nice. or even be a resource for his local police departments and state police because he has those skill sets and he likes it. And tell me how many game wardens like doing that stuff. Yeah, that's that's not something we all normally gravitate towards. No. It's definitely not my A-list no. <laughs> top 10 thing I want to do as a game warden. So kudos to Eric for taking that yeah. out and doing a good job with it. But hey, we all, we all have different fortes and we all have different interests, right? And, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned the diversity of what other guys do. I have some tech gurus, the mm. younger wardens on the Met team. I could do some of them. From podcast technology <laughs> to encryption to social media, to, you know, getting into an electronic case and finding files and finding fraud and doing everything on, you know, on the web and the dark web too, stuff that I can't even comprehend. And we just wouldn't make those great commercial wildlife cases if it wasn't for the tech knowledge these guys have. No doubt. Um, and that diversity is cool in our ranks all over the country. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, hope everybody enjoys Eric Blanchard, Blanchett. I see. No, I got it wrong. Blanchard. And I did this because there's so many Blanchettes in in and around my area. That's that French influence. And and in the podcast, I mess it up too. So I did it again. Sorry, Eric, but uh, I'm sure everybody's going to really enjoy listening to this one. I enjoyed uh, sitting down and having catching up with Eric and, and getting down and talking and sharing his game warden experiences. So thanks, John. All right, buddy. This is going to be a good one guys. Enjoy it. So this podcast is with Eric Blanchett of the Main Game Warden Service. Main Warden Service, not Main Game Warden Service. Blanchard. Blanchard. Yeah. Is that the French way? I'm well, sorry. It's, uh, it's not B-L-A-N-C-H-R-D. Blanchard. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's all right. You're already screwed up. I know. And we probably won't cut and paste that. We'll just leave that in. <laughs> so everybody knows I screwed up. Yeah, it hurts and you know what it is? I, I'm in the northern part of New Hampshire and everybody's a yeah. Blanchett. Yeah, it's Blanchard. That's that French is French, too. though. It is French. It's yeah. a different diversion of Blanchard. Yep. So yep. you were probably cousins. Yeah, more than likely. More than likely. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, certainly a lot of French in my uh, lineage. Well, yeah. My and, mother's maiden name's LaFontaine. And I've never heard Blanchard before in that, you know, that North Country, Berlin, where... Yeah, it's probably all Blanchard up to There is numerous Blanchettes, so I, I guess it just rolled with me. Yeah, I get it. So yeah. all these years, I would have called you Blanchette. So I'm glad you squared that away. Quite honestly, we've known each other like 20 years, and you can't get my name I right. I can't get your... I got Eric, yeah. right? You got Eric, right. I got the main warden service, but I said game warden service to start. Yeah, that's okay. You'll, yeah. We'll, we'll I get that game warden thing ingrained in my head now. Yeah, we'll work through this. We, we will. We will. Yeah, so 20-something years, right? Yeah, 20 and a half as a warden, and uh, I started out in Concord, New Hampshire as a, as a police officer, and I had four and a half... Wow. I actually just get past my 25th full-time year in law enforcement. So you got some experience. I got a lot of time, yeah. Lot of time, <laughs> so you didn't call time, that experience? You just a lot of time. Uh, yeah, however you want to call it. And going from a police officer to a game warden, was that was that what you wanted to do? Was that Yeah, how, you know what? I it was a stepping up, stone? Yeah, well, I, I can't really call it that. Uh, law enforcement back then in 1994, I just got out of college with a bachelor degree in police administration, mm-hmm. Eastern Kentucky University. I grew up in the uh, Holden Brewer area, went to Brewer High School in Maine. And that's up there? Yeah, it's up there around Bangor. Okay. Yeah. And ended up in Kentucky and had a great time. And uh, You stood out in Kentucky, didn't you? Probably stood out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. My roommate used to say that he uh, he can interpret Maine. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love those guys down there. Yeah. Uh, Hard-working bunch of guys. Everybody I knew, I mean, part-time job. It was crazy. It was going to, a, you know, it was a public university. Uh-huh. But I uh, made some great relationships down there, and uh, just hard-working bunch of guys. They were all from, like, uh, Barstown, basically the bourbon capital of the world. Really? Jim Beam, that whole area just south of Louisville. Wow. So you spent a lot of time in that area? Yeah. I liked it a lot down there. Nice. Yeah. I don't know. I almost stayed. Yeah, ended up back in uh, back in Maine. Were you thinking about being a game warden in Kentucky? Uh, I looked at state police a little bit. Okay. Yeah, but again, back then, you know, 93, 94, even mm. with a bachelor degree. Yeah. You know, you'd have 10, you know, I'd say you had probably three to 4,000 people apply for a state police job in Kentucky. Yep, absolutely. You know, I remember in uh, January of 94, I went down and applied for Portsmouth PD, and they had 500 people apply, took the written test. Mm. You know? I mean, you had to work hard. You had to work to, very hard to get into law enforcement, mm-hmm. and then to be a game warden well, was. To be a game warden was like it was insane back then to try to get in. Mm-hmm. I had looked at it and I knew how many people applied, and in like '97, I applied uh, while I was a police officer. Yeah, and uh, you know, seven eight hundred people. I didn't know anybody really in the warden service at all. I came over for like an eight hour ride along, came in and took the written test and did okay. And did real well in the oral board and got a call back and just kind of kept working my way through. Yeah, ended up my first day, I think it was January 3rd or January 4th, maybe in 1999 mm. as a warden. But yeah, it was definitely a big transition from uh, Concord PD to main warden service. Concord was pretty steady, pretty busy. Concord was busy back then. Yeah, yeah it was always something going on. I worked in the drug unit in 1997. So I worked. Uh, you moved up to the ranks pretty quick in Concord then. Uh you know, or no one me, else wanted made, to do that. They made me a firearms instructor pretty quick. Uh, you know, I still was in contact with one of the, my lieutenant over there. He ended up making major, Mike Russell. Mm-hmm. Fantastic guy. Treated me well. You know, he said I'd have done pretty pretty well at Concord. But quite honestly, when the main warden service opened up, that was the direction I went. Right. That's where your heart is. Yeah. You grow up hunting and fishing in Maine. Mm. You know, duck hunting when I was 10. I don't remember ever going to school in the opening day of duck season. 
I just wouldn't go. I'd go home with my dad. Well, you know, it was before youth days. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, I just didn't I'm go. I'm kind of jealous of those youth days now, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, oh, I'm incredibly. Like, I take well, my, what, what was oh, up with us? <laughs> I take my daughter out. She limits out on one ducks in 20 minutes. Now, oh. you know, ducks completely stupid. Nobody else in the ball. How old's your daughter? She's 13 now. Pretty good shot. She is a shooter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I... I I shoot a lot of clay pigeons with her. Uh-huh. And literally last youth day, she limited out on wood duck in 20 minutes. Mm. She, she put six in the, oh, I'm sorry, three in the water quick, and she maybe missed two others. Wow. 20 minutes on wood ducks. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, You're pretty good. proud of that, aren't you? I really am. I could tell. Yeah. So last year she shot her first turkey, limited out on wood ducks, and shot a, uh, shot a doe on youth day. Through, uh, right through the heart at like 75 yards. Oh, my goodness. With a 300 blackout bolt action. Wow. She had a good year. She did have a good she year. She had a better year that year than I had probably in my first 15 <laughs> hunting. <laughs> and I totally understand that. Growing up, it, it, we saw tons of deer, but my dad wasn't too much on practicing shooting. It's it, huge. I always thought you pulled the trigger, oh. they fell down. I, I, you know, it was about oh. that aiming thing. It's it's ridiculous. Back then, we never went to the range. No. You know, and I just, you know, you'd miss. Right. You know, you'd go out and shoot at ducks, and you'd shoot a box, and you might dump a duck. <laughs> you know? I'm glad I'm glad your childhood was the same as mine. Yeah, and Logan goes out there in 20 minutes. She's got three ducks in the water because of practice. Right. You know, when you see hunters, uh, you watched hunters your whole career mm-hmm. like I do. You know, I'll watch hunters shoot go on a pheasant field. You know, a bird will get up, three guys will shoot at it, and the bird might quiver a little bit and just keep flying, mm-hmm. completely unharmed. <laughs> you know, practice a little bit. Go to the range. Oh. Yeah. I, I got I work for U.S. Fish and Wildlife as a refuge officer out at Human Till Red Refuges in Washington and Oregon. And I'll tell you what, I wrote about 120 tickets in a season, which I, I think I still hold the record. Yeah. But I had some awesome experiences. And one time I watched these guys miss all day long. And finally, when the ducks would land, they would lace them because they were tired of shooting them in the air and missing. It's brutal. Yeah, <laughs> brutal. <laughs> but to sit there and watch them, you know, it was frustrating for the warden because you want them to kill ducks because you want to see if they're going to overlimit. Right. Oh, exactly. So it's, it's I'm, I'm like, it's killing me watching them because I'm sitting there yeah. in the bushes watching. They're missing. They're missing. They're missing. I'm like, come on, kill some ducks. Yeah. You can watch for a long time people wing shooting and uh, not see many birds come down. Yeah. And then I had one of the ducks land right where I was hiding. And what do you think they did? They leveled right, I, I, right, oh, behind, yeah. right behind the log. Oh, yeah. Thank goodness I had that log there because I could hear the, the, the steel Pellet shot style. going right through the, the reeds. And yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, of all places. And, and I was a ways away. I, they, they were out of range. You got to be. They, they were. <laughs> yeah, you got to be. They were still kicking it my way. Yeah. So, you certainly but, have to be a ways away when you uh, work in duck hunters. Any sort of wing shooting like that. Yeah. That's a, that's a skill, though. I, I realized when I came to New Hampshire, and you probably did, identifying ducks is a skill. Oh, it really is. You know, that to me, you almost have to grow up. You have to be a duck hunter mm. to understand how to enforce duck hunting. Yes. You know, the guys, quite honestly, that didn't grow up or aren't duck hunters, aren't comfortable in force because there's a lot of regulations. Right. You, know, a lot you of get the plug shotgun, you get the stands, mm-hmm. you get the different kinds of ducks, you get the limits on each duck, you get yeah. the seasons. Uh, you get a lot of things that, unfortunately, you can do wrong. Right. And, and you what, see coastal ducks in your area, right? Yep. See some coastal ducks down in the tidal parts. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you got to be familiar with those, you know, all the ducks. But then you got boats. You know, you got life jacks, you get registration, you mm-hmm. get all that other stuff. You know, and I get all that, and I try to be lenient. We're obviously looking for the intentional violator. Right. You know, intentional 
Violator. That's right. What, that's what we The early shooting, the late shooting. The early shooting, the late shooting, the, you know, tucking a bird somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, unplugged shotgun where you've watched them and they shot four or five times. Right. Without reloading. I've, I've done that. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are the intentional violator. Right. Because that's an easy thing to, to resolve. You know, a pencil and pencil down the, yeah. the magazine yeah. and you're buy done. A, buy a dowel. Break yeah. a dowel off. It, exactly. That's, that's pretty intentional. Or bring your single shot or your double barrel. Yeah. No, I, li- I love duck hunting. I like enforcing duck hunting. But yeah, get back to my daughter. She uh, she she can shoot. Yeah. She was a lot better than I was at that age. Right. But you're a pretty good shooter now, aren't you? Well, I shoot a lot of sporting clays. And I uh, I started shooting actually like IDPA, Ipsig, three gun when I was a cop in Concord. Uh huh. That Pioneer over in Dunbarton. You probably yeah. know what that is. Yeah, I do. And I did that real hard for like 11 years. Got out of that, started shooting sporting clays. Uh huh. And, uh, Really into it. Yeah, it's a good hobby, fun. I got my daughter shooting a little bit. Yeah. My wife's tried it. She's got a little eye dominance thing. She gets really upset. She can't hit anything. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and we're going to have to talk after because my wife's got the same issue, and she likes to shoot too. Yeah. So when I get my son shooting, he's not as good as your daughter, I will say that. But oh, it's fun. Generally, females yeah. are better shots. I don't know what it was about her. She, uh, she, she's got a lot of like natural ability. Mm-hmm. and Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. She, she, mm. uh, she's come a long way. It's fun. Yeah, I've seen you at some of the fundraisers uh, just shooting. Yeah, the OGT fundraisers. Yes. We had a nice run against Marine Patrol in Maine, and they finally beat us last year. Wow. I think we won either four or five straight. They worked at that, though. They, oh, they put a team together last year, and they practiced. And they get some good shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got, like, Wes Deans can shoot. A couple other guys that uh, certainly can shoot. Yeah, and that's the annual Operation Game Thief main fundraiser in September, right? Yeah, so it that, always has be been. This up. year, yeah, well, this year they decided not to do it for a really. Month. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's kind of disappointing, that. actually. That was a, that was a good fundraiser. Yeah, it was thought. a good fundraiser. I think they made some money at it. I, I would think so. It was always full teams, and yep. uh, it was the Rhode Island time. guys, in fact, picked up the uh, International Wildlife uh, Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers. Yep, in they April. picked it up. I've been down there. Nice. Problem is that they have it on uh, Youth Day in Maine for turkeys. Oh, uh, yes. You know, so I went down like two years ago, and my daughter was not happy with that. <laughs> that, I miss, that I miss Youth Day. I wish it changed it. Maybe like it if you guys are listening, if you could change that to like the weekend before. Or like yeah, Sunday, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that for you. Yeah. So maybe there's a youth that. turkey season down that way that you could go to. Yeah, maybe. So. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, uh, definitely head back down to Rhode Island. Yeah. For that. These youth, these youth seasons are pretty important to you now, though, to bring oh, your daughter the out. I, I'd rather go out on a youth day with my daughter. It's, it's more, that, that, that's it's more way, exciting it's than... way better. Yeah. Yeah, it's way better. Yeah, uh, you take her out in the morning, you know, you get the hot chocolate thing and uh, on ducks and... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, it's way You still like hot chocolate, apparently. I still like hot chocolate. Yeah. She loves it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll sit there and sip hot chocolate and wait for the ducks. To and what a great father-daughter it's nothing better. experience. Yep, so it's nothing better. Thing, things are gonna, she's going to carry the rest of her life. Cause yeah. You know, even if you get out of it, you go to college, you move somewhere for a while, it's mm-hmm. always in the back of your mind that, hey, that was fun. Yeah. Growing up. And, it's something uh, she did with dad. Yep. And you'll come back to it. You know, mm-hmm. I always have, I have a bird dog now and, you know, uh, she goes hunting with with my dog you know, maybe she'll have a bird dog down the road. I always will, but she'd come back in her 20s or something and hunt. She's got a life t- hunt, uh, lifetime hunting and fishing license. Oh, that's another thing they did after. After us. Yeah. All these great youth things came All these great youth way things. Way after to, our, uh, yeah. And my son missed that, too, because we didn't have it. I think you guys were before us, so he's 13, and he missed that window, too, yeah. so he doesn't have it. Yeah. 
But I mean, they're really, you know, they're promoting, they're doing their best to promote hunting and fishing. Absolutely. And youth. youth and women. That's mm-hmm. the future of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would agree. Yeah, I, I, my my wife takes off a day from work every year to go bird hunting with, and that's what we do for the day. Ah. yeah, we go it's out like in the a morning, hunting date, a hunting date. That's it. All, quite honestly, that's what it is. Yeah, we go to breakfast. We go. Yeah, we you bring hot chocolate. Yep, yeah, no, no hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> it cost me some money because we'll do the breakfast thing somewhere. Uh-huh. We'll hunt for a few hours, let the dog rest. I'll have to buy our lunch, and then we'll go out in the afternoon and. Naturally, there's a dinner somewhere involved. So, yeah. <laughs> this is a full day. It's a day. It's a day. <laughs> she took great. the day off to hang out, go do a little bird hunting. Right, uh, right. <laughs> we've, had some, we've had fun, though. Uh, she's had an apprentice license, uh-huh. which is another great way to get it. You don't have to take the yeah. hunter's safety. You're with somebody who's obviously hunted. She's got all the basic safety things. Mm-hmm. Apprentice license, to me, is a great idea. It's like an introduction, Justin. It's an introduction. Let's try it. It's an introduction. It's a tasting. It's a tasting of it. Yeah. Yep. So, She's had an apprentice license. I think it's a fantastic way to get people involved in I hunting. I totally agree. Yeah, great idea. It, it was, and it's it's actually producing a lot of hunters. A lot of older hunters I'm seeing, too. Yeah, people that, who don't, maybe don't, don't want to sit through the hunter safety or, course. Or they didn't grow up doing it, so they they're, they're just it. like, well, and they have a friend that says, hey, get your apprentice license. We'll go out turkey hunting. That seems to be a good way to interact people because they can hear the turkeys calling they come in and maybe yep. they get a turkey maybe they don't but yep. you know the adrenaline's flowing you get that that hunting feeling turkey hunting's the best it, turkey hunting we never had that no we, we never had that you know you're 50 i'm 48 yeah you know i never shot a turkey until i was oh my god i was sorry late 20s uh, mine was only like 10 years ago yeah i was in my late 20s when and i, I just called my first bird in last year by but myself. what a way, though, to get a new hunter involved <laughs> in the ah. sport. Interactive, mm-hmm. the birds are gobbling, you're out ah. in the mornings on a nice spring day. And that first gobble, I mean, even oh, my adrenaline sight. jumps up for yeah. a new guy. They're like, huh? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a fantastic <laughs> way just to get uh, kids, women involved. Mm-hmm. My, my, actually, my wife was with us in the turkey blind when my daughter shot her first bird. Oh, wow. So there was three of us tucked inside this. It was a family house. experience. Yeah. And she, my wife, videoed it on her uh, on her iPhone. Oh, nice! Like she was sitting behind Logan, so yeah, nice. Yeah, it was great. Oh, and the excitement that comes out of that. And oh, I, I, you know, I've had some fun hunting, and I do a lot of bow hunting and bird hunting by myself. But that's what it's that's fun. Yeah, to me, no, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. And she shot the- her first duck when she was ten with my father oh, in the wow. boat. You know. A nice crossing shot at like 30 yards. Uh, and she had missed some birds that day. I mean, she was a few years back. Uh-huh. And my father had a GoPro on. And could see, uh-huh. we could see the, he could see the bird. We could see the bird coming off the lake. Uh-huh. She pulls up, and she had a long lead on. It was crossing. and just folds this uh, female wood duck. Wow. And you should have seen us. I mean, it was like. Celebration. Celebration of the boat. Wow. Yeah. And no. I got it on video. That's awesome. Yeah, the video was awesome. That is awesome. First bird on video with first your dad. First bird on video with my father. Yeah, my, my son got his first deer with my, my father, too. Yeah, there's nothing better. No. And th- those are memories he's going to carry forever. Forever. And that's why I intentionally said, hey, go with your grandfather yeah. and hunt. Yeah. I, I was on another stand. As a matter of fact, I had a buck coming in as they're calling me to tell me Andrew got a deer. And guess what? I picked up the phone rather than... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't it matter. It doesn't matter. Because people think they think it's about killing, and it's really not it's about nothing. killing. No, it isn't. It isn't. It I mean, it's fun, you know, to bring something home with you, but mm-hmm. that's not what it's... It's an outdoor experience. It's an experience with your family. It brings it tighter together, and... Uh, it's just fun. It, it's, it's a good sport. <laughs> you get a bird dog adds to it, you know, kids. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I burn on because of my dog, a lot of it. 
you know, she loves it. It's not about shooting the bird. It's about watching her. Mm-hmm. And you hear that from guys with bird dogs, but that's what it's about. Right. You know, and watching, her getting excited, yeah, getting that, birdie. And, yeah, watching that crazy dog that lays on your couch all, all year. <laughs> you know? And watching <laughs> Actually, it was bred to do something. Yeah, let's go do this. This is what you were made to do, and she yes. knows it. And it's nothing. You know, she loves it, so. That is so important. That's like hounds. Hounds were made to Hounds hunt. were made. Yeah. yeah. German, I give a German short hair. That's what they That's what they were bred to do. Love it. And that's what they're happy doing. The, the enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. If I had that enthusiasm for a lot of things, I'd... Jeez, can you imagine having that enthusiasm for a game warden? Your little tail going? Oh, I mean, just my tail just flying around. <laughs> yeah. You see some young guys like that, but yeah. Uh, you know, I love the young guys that do that. Because yeah. we, we were there. We were there. We were we had our tails going like crazy. It's just going like crazy. It was, uh, it, it, it's an exciting, exciting career. And if you don't have that for the first five years, then, you know, at least five years. You're in the wrong job. You're in the wrong job. If you're not excited to, to really go out and catch an intentional violator, mm. if you're not excited when that happens... Yeah, I don't care. I don't care what anyone says. If you're not excited, any game warden, mm-hmm. when you catch a lit, uh, an intentional violator, mm-hmm. you're not you're not in the right job. Absolutely. I mean, some of my best adrenaline rushes in the last twenty years have been when you catch that intentional violator. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what we were bred to do. That's it. Well, I got to tell you, <laughs> yeah. At some level, that's kind of what it is. You know, you get excited about it. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think so. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, involving that hunting and fishing and growing up in that. And then, you know, mine was interaction with wardens too, just maybe not on a personal basis, but the first guy I saw, you know, first warden I saw in the woods was in a Stetson and, you know, yeah. just made that impression on that six-year-old. Yeah. So. I mean, I remember looking at our local warden uh, growing up, uh, Chuck Allen, if he's listening, mm. you know, and thinking that, wow, this is something that I want to do. He Back then he was on TV a lot and he's kind of high profile. I don't yeah. know if you know him. But he retired. He was in the brewer area, and uh, you know, you just looked at that, and you're like, "That's what I want to do." Right? You know, always in the back of your mind. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's great. So, some of those cases as a game warden, yeah, that, that really get you. I mean, fired some of up, the stuff, want... yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about adrenaline, and immediately I thought of a case back, I don't know, a few years back. Uh, one of our new guys, Seth Powers, was with me, and mm-hmm. he was, he was really new at the time. And uh, down at Kittery, we just got a call. And, and having a new guy with you helps too, doesn't it? It's fun. It? it really does. Because it brings you back. It brings you back. It brings you back. He's happy. He's out of the academy. He actually was, a, I think he was a psycho police officer. You know, so he had kind of the same background I did. Right. Nice guy. So we got a call down at Kittery of just like shots near our house. So you know how it was. You're 40 minutes away. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he's fine or maybe you don't. But we rode down. It's like a Saturday during deer season. Mm-hmm. Guy said, "Yeah, they were shooting like right back here, and it's in like just like little neighborhood sort of with a patch of woods." So we get down there and start looking around. And I see some white hair, you know, belly hair. Yeah, I'm like I walked over and there's deer, deer belly hair. Yeah, deer belly hair. Uh-huh. You know, like hey, there's a doe here, and it gets shot like right through the chest. So the guy knew he got it. Oh, and it dropped and, right uh, there. Yeah, and uh, you know, thirty yards away, there's another deer. And then uh, Seth's poking around up on this ridge, and he finds shotgun shells. Mm. So you know the guy got bumped, and he's coming back. Right. And this is at like 10 in the morning. So uh, I'm like, geez, yeah. We hit our cars, believe it or not, in somebody's yard. We just said, hey, can we leave our cars, uh, truck here? Perfect. Sat down there until it got dark, waiting for him to come back. Mm-hmm. Eventually, like you know he's coming back for these deer. Yeah. 
Eventually, you know, 8.30, I think it was around 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, totally dark. You see the flashlights coming down through the woods. <laughs> and, you know, here I am. I'm, I was, you know, I was probably 45, 44 at the time. Yeah. You know, your heart's just pounding. Exactly. Your chest. The adrenaline. Yeah. You start even, like, like trying to, like, control your breathing because it's so much fun. It's, it's like that 10-pointer coming in. It's better. It's, it's better because I've done that. Well, I'm trying to relate it so you know, people understand yeah, I mean, what kind of adrenaline's throwing yeah, okay, through. <laughs> yeah, you get a 10-point coming in. 10-pointer like, coming in uh, for sure because I always tell like, everybody, yeah. it's like, I don't want to be a game warden because I, I can't hunt and I can't fish. I said, the poacher is the trophy. It's the trophy. You catch the yeah. good poacher there. There's you know little po- there's little bucks out there. There's big bucks out there. Yeah. You mount them on the wall. You're hunting all the time. You're hunting all the time. So. You know, we got him. He brought in two people to, to tag the deer. Oh, Awesome. Uh, you know, but... It, it, so you saw three flashlights. There's lights bouncing everywhere. Three flashlights coming in, and they're right there. They started getting the deer, and we weren't 25 feet away. Really? Did they yeah. hear you start moving closer yeah, to them? Yeah, well, as soon as I said game ward, you should have seen the looks. Oh, I bet. It was, you know, fun. Mm. You know, so you got, you know, seeing the bag limit, uh, dough with no, uh, shooting a dough with no permit. Yeah. You know, piles of tickets. Untagged deer. Oh, untagged deer. Piles of tickets. Yeah. Uh, Aiding and assisting. And you got them. And you got them. Got them. You got them. They didn't run. They didn't run. They just the guy just gives it up. You know, right. I shot him. I brought these guys in. You know, you don't touch the guys that come in. One was actually it was a kid, uh, like around like sixteen, and his dad. And so you know, I mean, that's but that's catching an intentional violator. That's exactly that's what right. it's about. Yeah, you know, that is intentional as it gets happens a lot more than what we catch. But when you get them, when you start looking you at statistics, them. it's crazy. I just uh, saw some. Some statistics that we catch about one percent of the poaching. I would say probably. Yeah. yeah. Quite honestly, all we are, and I hate to say this, is a threat of of in the back of their mind. Should I be poaching? Mm-hmm. That's what it amounts to. Right. And we get people every now and then. Get as many as we can. Mm-hmm. And but again, it's about the intentional violator. It's not about the guy that forgot. And you know, you know, you've been on for a while. You know, yeah. Did, did he forget? To do something, or is, was this an intentional act right. of poaching? Yeah. And you know. A- absolutely. And it doesn't take long to talk. And to we have those in our areas that we know that intentionally poach all the time. Yeah, you get information. I mean, get this information, is information. Like, we build relationships. Yeah. Um, you just know. like anything else, any other police work, it's an information game. Mm-hmm. You collect information. Uh, and you end up putting a case together. Yeah, no doubt. So. And some of that information is just a call that they shot too close to the house. That's it. That's it. A little and bit of investigation. You find out who it is. Maybe you got a couple of dead deer. Or and some information starts that, you know, this guy shot a doe last year and never tagged it and butchered it. And you save that. You, you know, tuck it away. Tuck it away until next tuck year you run into them. And, yep. you know, you start building that case. And sometimes it takes a career to build a case. Sometimes it does. Sometimes and, it takes you years. And sometimes you don't get them. And sometimes it, you don't. Sometimes I, you get them a few times. You're right. So sometimes you get that makes me times. feel better because I always think of the ones I didn't get and it always yeah there's bugs been a, there's been a few I'm thinking of a couple but yeah you, know, you get the information you go back they're not there and, I, and I've seen you know poachers change too because of kids the yeah. one I'm, the one I didn't yeah. get I, I I believe yeah. he changed because you know he didn't want his son doing all the stuff he did yeah and having the gay board to chase him yeah, they, certainly, they certainly do change <laughs> you know they get older too uh, exactly and we definitely change as we get older. Yeah. Yeah, it might mellow out a little mellow, bit. Mellow, get smarter. Yeah. There's definitely those there. Look at things in a different way. Yeah. You, you've been a main game warden in the same area for a very long time, haven't you, Eric? Yeah, I've spent my entire career actually in York County. 
I uh, started down in like the Kittery Elliott, York area. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's in- rare for a main game warden, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess it kind of is. I just, I lived in Parsons Field for quite a while, mm-hmm. you know, like probably about eight years. And, okay. Uh, you know, I had it. I was living in a house off of a dirt road on a dead end dirt road. I mean, Sounds like all, a perfect place. I was out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Had a nice coyote place to hunt coyotes behind the house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of nice. And then my, I met my wife, and uh, she, you know, she wanted to move a little closer to town. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm in Wells now. But what's wow. nice about us is that, you know, we can move around. Yes. I mean, you know, if I want to go Within- up and work Parsons Field, have at it. If I mm-hmm. want to go work in Waterboro, the ponds, whatever. It is getting awful crowded down here, though. I got to <laughs> tell you. I mean, it's starting to kind of wear me out a little bit. When well, you're sitting at a stoplight for summer, more than 10 oh, minutes, especially summer, in the summer. The summer times down here are nuts. Yeah, and you got the, the beaches right in Wells. It's so right that's, in Wells. You can't everybody go goes. You I went to, to As a kid, water. I went to Wells. Yeah, you can't, go, you can't even go down on Route 1 in the summer. No. You know, so that's getting a little higher for me as a warden, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know? Because we like our solitude. I like my solitude. I truly do. We like our woods. Yeah. You know, I talked to the kid last week who's got Chamberlain Lake. He's living in a house that the state provides mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of, yeah. And a young kid, not costing him a dime. If you know what Chamberlain Lake is, it's actually like uh, kind of like northwest of Baxter. Yeah. Well, north, it's up uh, there. West of Baxter. It's, it's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he's up there by himself. You know, yeah. all fishing game stuff. Everything he does is, you know, he's checking uh, native trout ponds and Sidehunk Lake, Thistle. Wow. You know, and he's working resource stuff all the time. That's right. That's what he's doing. So, And you get mixed into a lot of different things down I get, here. Yeah, I get everything. I get everything down here. Uh, part of my, one of my duties is I'm a crash reconstructionist, mm. state certified crash reconstructionist. So I do, I'll do ATV, snowmobile, uh, and actually I'm a boat crash investigator. So I do boat crashes uh, and uh, local PDs and state police in York County call me for, uh, you know, fatal Fatal car crashes. I'll assist them with those too. Right. So I stay busy doing that. Certainly. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting, and that's a that, that's a niche. That's that's a tough niche too, because it's very detail orientated. Yeah, it's detail oriented. Uh, since I've been a warden, and really since I've been a police officer, I started taking uh, my first degree was in police administration, bachelor, and I got in and I'm like, I got to kind of broaden my education, I think, a little bit, and I started taking just math classes. Over at uh, the Technical College here in, in uh, Concord. Mm-hmm. So I started taking, I took college algebra. Mm-hmm. And I took like pre-calc. And I took calculus. And then. Sounds like you like, you like math. I like math. I, I like, I just You're one like, of those strange guys that likes math. Yeah, I just kind of got really into it. And then I got over here and I took another, I took a physics class at a community college. And because I already had a bachelor degree, he hired me to teach algebra. Huh. The guy I took it from was a, uh, the chairman of the math physics department. Nice. And obviously, I did pretty well in the class. He's like, hey, listen, you want to be an adjunct? So I started in 2004 teaching uh, intermediate and college algebra down at uh, SMCC. Nice. And actually, one of your buddies there, one of our buddies, took my class in like uh, 07, 08. You Damn. passed him, right? I did pass him. Was a <laughs> good guy, sergeant with uh, Bath PD. Yeah. Uh, yeah, real good guy. We're going to go fishing tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super guy. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh yeah, I taught, I taught down there for like 10 years. And while I was, you know, then I was take one class a semester toward, I was working toward a mechanical engineering degree. Mm. So I took all the calculus levels of calculus, differential equations, linear algebra, all the engineering classes, one class a semester. 
and wow. finally graduated with a mechanical engineering degree in December. Congratulations. Year, yeah. That's a lot of awesome. work. Yeah, a lot of work. That is a lot of work, but the guy but, that's you know, north of Bathurst doesn't have that opportunity. Yeah, have that, but, you know, the education <laughs> opportunities now with distance education. Uh, You're absolutely right. You know, the the world is changing. It is changing, and there's a lot more opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I took all the calculus, uh, that tape it on a VHS, the course, mm. and I take that, and I go over to Sanford. I'd go to Sanford, just down from Parsons Field, and yeah. watch a tape. And like to the I PD? No, uh, I'd go to the library. A, they have a branch office. Uh, oh, okay, so the college. Yeah, so I'd just sit there and watch it. You'd watch on a VS tape? VHS tape. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you, so you were you distance want. learning long before distance learning was happening. Yeah, if you want to do something education wise, there's no excuse not to do it now. Uh, no, quite no, honestly, no, there totally isn't. There just isn't. I mean, you know, you make the time. I had to make time to take that class. You, so you just do it. You just do you it. Hit the nail on the head. You got to make time. You got to make time to do it. I, t- I believe that education is important. It's opened a lot of doors for me. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as teaching goes, certainly crash reconstruction is right. is much easier, and I understand it a lot better. And somebody without my background. Yeah, and you're going to be uh, upgrading in your teaching here shortly, aren't you? Well, I've been teaching uh, since 2014. I'll take a couple of weeks off here and there, and I'll go down to Portsmouth Naval Shipyard mm. and teach in the apprentice program. So I've taught a bunch of levels of math, and I'm, I teach physics. Nice. Now. So it's great. It's a great. It's been a great. I, I just never expected that out of you, Eric. Yeah, you know, a lot of people say that. I think I give off that I'm not too bright. Look, <laughs> people. <laughs> Yeah, I think I really do. Just kind of give off that look that yeah, I'm not too bright. But uh, and then you sit down and talk to you, and you're, you're a professor. Well, it's uh, it's just like I say, it's just a good professor Blanchard. Yeah, Blanchard. Yeah, you got yes, it. Yes, right. I got it right. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I did that before the end yeah. of the podcast. So it's just been an interesting diversion for me, mm-hmm. and it's it's well, that ties right in with your accident reconstruction. Ties on, ties in completely. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've had some pretty interesting accident reconstructions, haven't you? I'm thinking of that boat accident on the Saco. That was yeah, that, uh, was, ter- yeah, that was terrible, 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 yeah. terrible. Yeah, we uh. There's three guys now that are active in boat crash investigation, and myself and another guy did it. I'm also a forensic mapper, so I'll take uh, total station and surveying equipment and go to a pile of scenes every year. So do you have that total station equipment? Yep. And a yep. total station is basically a surveying... Surveying equipment. That's all it is. Yeah, uh, it's all via GPS, satellite. Yeah, we don't even use GPS and satellite. You don't. No. So you, you have a certain point that it works certain off a la- laser? Uh, it works off like an infrared beam okay. to prisms. Uh, there's a couple of different ways to take points. So it marks and maps it yep, based it on that center point, and you make That's positions exactly with... Right. Okay. Yeah. And, I'm trying uh, to do it in layman's terms. because No, it's exactly right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what it boils down to. And we take that raw data, and you can create a scale diagram. So rather than doing like a baseline offset that we learned 20, mm-hmm. 25 years ago... Right. You take and go to the scene with a, uh, you know, a total station and... Uh, so yeah, we took that up to the Saco River and looked at the bend in the river and did boat, you know, some boat. Uh, looked at the boats and just tried to figure out why and why mm. and how it happened. Can, can you give us a, a scenario? I mean, so everybody knows what was they were responding to. Who was yeah, there was a, there was a uh, overturned canoe with people still in the water to the possible boat. drowning victim. Yeah, possible drowning victim, and uh, there was a couple of uh, they were reserve uh, reserve officers. Reserve police officers for a local oh, for department. Freiburg. Freiburg. Yeah. Then they they patrol the Saco River in that area. Mm-hmm. They have a ton of, like, just canoes. Canoes. That's very popular. A lot of drinking goes on. Yeah, piles. So, you a know, lot like of a, problems with that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
you know, Freiburg's proactive. And that Tosaco runs from New Hampshire into Maine yep. as well. So we, we have similar issues. Right. And it just flows into Maine. And yep. this incident actually happened in Maine. Yep, happened in Maine. Uh, it be, you know, I, I don't know what particularly happened. I have some thoughts, and it's in my report. But mm-hmm. uh, it's going around the corner. For some reason, the boat doesn't turn. And I uh, just kind of went into the woods, hit a tree right on the shoreline. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, the reserve officer, one of the reserve officers who wasn't operating the boat, uh, was killed. Mm. But uh, yeah, you know that was an investigation. Right. Obviously, I, I did a very lengthy report. Other guys did as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was interviews involved. Uh, but I understand, and it's in the report. Yeah, and- it's in the report. I really uh, I hate I hate elaborating on uh, police officer involved stuff any yeah. more, no, any I- more than what's already been documented. Totally uh, understand. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just a sad situation. Oh, Anytime when you lose a, a brother officer, it's horrible. Yeah, and, it, you know, in he's, any a, situation. he's a young kid, mm-hmm. 21, I think, maybe, 22. Just, just starting, just starting off. out. I think oh. it was his first day. Uh, it was like his first day on patrol, and that happens. That's tough. I mean, that was a high impact, you know, mm-hmm. getting hit hard. That was a jet boat that was off. Jet operate. boat. Jet yep. boat. So yeah, jet boat. A little different than an airboat. Yeah, it is a little bit different. It's almost like a... Well, it's a it's a, it's a jet driven outboard, is what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, kind of an aluminum like skiff with a side console, which can go a lot more shallow than a prop. Yeah, it can go a little bit more shallow, and depending on the design of the boat and stuff too. Yeah, they have a, a tunnel of, hull or something. A lot of factors in the boat. yeah, but yeah, certainly just a sad, made for the sad river. situation. Mm-hmm. But it's good that we we got people that can you know accurately depict you know the area, the, yep. the evidence that that's so important in crash scenes and. When people die, vehicular homicides. Yeah. I think of so many OHRV accidents that I've covered over the years, snowmobile accidents, where that would have been great. We did the baseline type stuff and yep. do our measurements, and we, we, we you get pretty good at it. There's no get, doubt. You do get good at it. Uh, I was, I've actually, uh, Maine has been very proactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started that training back in our initial training for just the forensic stuff was back in 09. Right. And I went to crash reconstruction school in uh, 2010, and I've been real active in it. Uh, but Does it differ from motor vehicle to snowmobiles and ATVs? Yeah, that's a good question. The physics obviously is the same. Right. So what I, I've done drag fact and skid analysis with ATVs mm-hmm. using an accelerometer uh, so I can figure out what the coefficient is. Wow, you're talking is. over like the accelerometer. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just that's... a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> but a it's lot very, of tools that you use yeah. to get results. A lot of it's similar. A okay. lot of it's similar. I'll use a vault uh, analysis. You know, basically every time there's a snowmobile crash, I mean, think of all the ones that were either the operator went airborne or the snowmobile went airborne. Uh, almost every time. Almost every time. So if you look at just the airborne portion of the crash, if mm-hmm. you can figure out the angle of takeoff, the height, uh, the difference in the height from where he took off to where he landed in the distance, mm-hmm. then you can get a speed. Mm. And uh, it's out there. I mean, it's out there. It's just a, it's right. like throwing a ball. If you know the angle of takeoff, it's like in uh, in the the angle, how far it went, all that you can figure out the speed of. Uh, I wish I had you. I had one that hit a stump. Speed of impact. Totally airborne after it hit the stump and landed upside down and never moved. Yeah, w- it, with the guy could, on you it, you could totally get that. Yeah, all, all you'd have to do is bracket the takeoff angle. Uh huh. Find out how far he went and the difference in the height from where his center of mass took off to where it landed, huh. and, and you get you got the speed. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I never did a. I mean, it's just straight analysis. physics. The only thing that you're missing in something like that is some called air resistance, but it's so small right. over that distance. Mm-hmm. The nice thing I always found out sometimes the the mile per hour meter 
stays you get some slap you get some slap slap. sometimes and we've actually had a little bit of luck with some of the atvs now uh with doing the download the computers Mm, snowmobiles as well for us some are much better than others the newer stuff that's where it's all going right i mean if you crash now in a car a 2019 car they're gonna know how fast you're going you know how fast you're going you know the steering input you know if the brakes were activated or not Mm mm-hmm I'm doing one now where we did a download on the car that was involved. We know, uh, you know, maybe the person didn't stop at the stop sign before pulling out into traffic. Right. Know how fast the person was going, mm-hmm. where the brakes were activated. Uh, there's so much stuff now that you can get. Does that take a lot of your science away? or You don't have to do it anymore because the computer uh, tells to you? To be honest with you, there's always some sort of reconstruction component because mm-hmm. you want to also do some reconstruction to verify what you saw in the in the, uh, in the the data. Gotcha. So, you know, there's a two, kind of a two-pronged You're, you're collaborating. Yep. The there's information. two-pronged evaluation of the crash. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. That's uh, something I, I got a little into, Eric, but not, not a lot. Yeah. And it's I something think, that it's something honestly that I don't see why more uh, uh, warden service outfits around the around the country don't get. Well, the more you know, my big preaching thing is we're becoming police in the woods. Well, we are. I mean, we are. We can't help it, especially down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're investigating ATV snowmobile boat crashes, uh, that's what police officers do on the street, right? So why give it any less effort than a police officer would do with a fatal motor vehicle crash? Absolutely, or any less technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's not all about, unfortunately, you know, you're not always out enforcing fishing and hunting law. You know, we're required uh, statutorily to investigate these recreational vehicle crashes. Yes. We have to take that just as seriously. And in many mm-hmm. cases, it's more serious. You know, you get you get involved in a, uh, you know, some of the most complicated uh, high-profile cases that you've seen and I've seen over the last 20, 25 years uh, have been recreational vehicles. Right. You know, it, it just is. That's what makes a paper. Mm-hmm. You know, so they you have you owe it to the general public to uh, complete a thorough investigation in these right. things because they'll report every snowmobile accident from the every weekend, single one. but they won't report every car accident. They will, maybe not, or will, are they going to re- report every single poaching violation? Yeah, that's even further back on yeah. the back burner. Yeah, and it, very rarely does somebody die during a poaching violation. Mm, you're, you know, true. snowmobile crashes, ATV crashes, somebody's dead, and many times. Somebody alive is at fault in the crash. You're absolutely right. So there's and it's our job to, it's our, to prove that and to charge those people. Yeah, or at least investigate. In most it. of the times, felonies. Uh, quite often, you know, mm-hmm. there's alcohol involved, the speed involved. Right. Uh, tell me how that's different than somebody dying in a motor vehicle crash. And that there it's is not, no difference. There's no difference, but except where the challenges that come along with that are yeah. so much more because of the remoteness. The gear oh, you need, yes, yes. The time and time of day that it usually occurs. Yep. And we've taken total stations uh, on eight, nine mile sled rides just to <laughs> get to the crash scene. Right. You know, I'm holding on to the total station, and actually, once our major Chris Cloutier was driving, we had a fatal crash up in Tim Pond Road, and I'm carrying all the total station stuff, and that nut's going about 50 miles an hour down an ITS trail, <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to hold. And you're on feeling every bump, every single bump, like. <laughs> and you're not uh, holding yeah. on; you're holding on to your total yeah, station. I've got gear. I'm carrying in like three bags of gear and a tripod. Uh, and actually, another guy. That's funny. That we one of the first ones we did was a. Uh, a fatal crash, a snowmobile crash where a guy was coming off a pond. Uh, you've seen these. Mm-hmm. And they run right into the shoreline. How yeah. many times have you seen that? Oh, so many. So Jason Luce, another warden, he's actually a sergeant, real good guy. I went to warden school with him. Uh, 
uh, we're going in, and, uh, you know, we're going about two miles an hour. We had so much gear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we just rolled the snowmobile over, and we were dying laughing. <laughs> both of us have about a size eight head, so we said we were too top-heavy. Yeah, that could have been. Yeah, and rolled the snowmobile. <laughs> so, yeah. I've been there with those slow rolls. No, the slow rolls, you just, like, you'd see it coming forever. Yeah, absolutely. All of a sudden, you just kind of lay the sled over. Yeah. yeah. No, always. So. You know, carrying in gear, though. Investigating crashes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what you're... Uh, because you know, we don't have the road. We can't pull up with our total station nope. and our... No, you're yeah, taking it in the woods. You're taking it in the woods. Taking and it, in the, and the challenges that come along with that. And they've got to be investigated. This stuff, hey, or has to, it's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Maine, actually, Maine Warden Service recognizes that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so does mine. And I'm sure yep. if they're held responsible statutorily, most agencies are, are doing it, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but everybody, I think every agency, warden agency, should have a crash reconstruction this time. Right. You know, go to that training. Go to the training. It's not just about you take that physics, you take those same, you know, the same tech, reconstruction techniques, and you can apply them to AT, many ATV crashes, mm-hmm. snowmobile crashes. Right. You know, send guys down to the uh, boat crash uh, investigation school. No, no doubt. Super important. Uh, absolutely, and it, it affects so many people. Those crashes when oh, you lose affects, loved ones, yeah, they, they want to know what happened. That's they want to know what happened. And know if what it's happened. going to be prosecution, you better do a good job. Uh, absolutely, we've we've had you know guys hit by run over by other snowmobiles that we've actually had the lab come up and work with us and pull yeah. pull pieces of the helmet off, pull pieces of clothes off the uh, the tracks, the studded tracks, sure, and, and then match it up. And you know when, when you go to that detail. And you bring that into a court and present that, and they have a, a crime scene investigation, you know, right there that they actually pulled pieces of the snowmobile suit from the track underneath. It, it's hard to say that he didn't hit him. That's right. That's right. And that sounded like a good investigation, and that's what it's about. It's just mm-hmm. a thorough, good investigation. Absolutely. And, and you know, two of my guys did one uh, last year or the year before, and things weren't adding up. And when they weren't adding up, they took their time, they went back to the scene, and they made it add up, and they realized that one had hit the other. Yeah. So, and that, that, that's how it happened. And, but to, to, when things aren't adding up, don't just shove it down. Take the time and go back, even though it's a pain in the butt to drive way back out in the woods. Yeah, all of it. Look at it in the daylight, probably, yeah. and wonder. And this wasn't a fatal, but they took the time, and they investigated it, and they, they, got, the, they got the right results. They got the truth. Yep, because that's all about these investigations is getting the truth. Yep, based on science, based on experience, based on interviews. And we're not, you know, and you keep a neutral. Uh, that's part of the reason I like math and science so much <laughs> is that it's is that it's that it is what it is. Right. There's no room there's no gray. T- there's no room for interpretation. <laughs> that's right. I, mean, I just like stuff that's scored. You know what I mean? Score. Right. You know, competitions at a score. We talked about That's sporting right. clays. Yeah, sporting clays. At the end of the day, your score is what it is. Right. Math and science is the same way. There's really mm-hmm. no room for interpretation. Yep. It is what it is. And when it you get questioned it about is. it on the stand, you're like, nope, that's, that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. I, I can't change that. I can't make yeah. that any different because yep. that's what it is. Yep. Yeah, that's got to be a good feeling to say that. Yeah, that's why I enjoy just that just that field, I guess, so much. Right, and that, and to have your your background, your engineering degree now, and put that together that that's uh, that, that's something when you sit on a stand and have to justify all that to have that. Yeah, I think it certainly I think it certainly helps. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously, warden service doesn't last forever, so probably down the road I'll get into something like that. Uh, yeah, on a private. Level. 
Yeah, it's it's it's, it's an interesting uh, avenue you're taking, Eric. Because yeah. I, I don't know any wardens that have uh, taken that thing, but I don't know any wardens have podcasted either. So uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you're, you're certainly breaking new ground. We talked yeah. about that prior to this, and uh, yeah. you don't think yeah, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. That's some right. good, some bad, but. Well, uh, certainly a warden podcast is breaking new ground. So. Yeah, and hopefully it'll be good. Yeah, you know? it sounds like you're doing well with it. Yeah. I've listened, so. to, uh, listened to a few of them. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you've been on televisions. You're in Northwoods Law. Protégé, you were like the beginning of Northwoods Law, weren't you? Yeah, we, uh, yeah, it's probably like second <laughs> season. I always like talking about Northwoods Law. You know, I, you know, I had a good time. Let's talk about that for a minute. But yeah. I, I had a good time with that. Yeah. Uh, you know what I miss about it is the guys that came up and filmed. Ah, uh, great guys. Just right. great guys, and it, I think they they fit in so well, and I think mm-hmm. that's part of. They the become. Thing. I have them over for dinner when they're up Old in my area. Oh, for dinner. Great guys. Great. Great guys. You know, we had guys like, uh, and I can't remember their last names necessarily, but Heath Neal from Texas. Guy named Ronnie Hernandez who actually lives down on Man- lives in Manhattan in the north end of Manhattan. Yeah, uh, and, know, and we had all new camera guys. And they all just fit in and they, producers that yeah. I would say fit the same way. You know, Seth, From a, Jake, Seth. I remember him. Yeah, yeah. Seth's been around for a while, a long and, time. Yeah, just uh, outstanding individuals. Really fit because they have to keep up with us. Good guys, good yeah. guys. You know, they're riding in boats, they're riding on backs. It's, one of the guys uh, from Texas, <laughs> I wasn't there, but he still, I still laugh about it. He basically said he'll never come back in the winter. Uh-huh. A couple of the guys had him up on one of the lakes in the dead of winter, and he's uh. riding around on the back of a snowmobile holding the camera. Yeah. He said he thought he was going to die. Yeah. Wasn't dressed for it, really. I, I think Ben Shank was one of your producers, wasn't he? Ben and, was a long time ago. He yeah. was one of them that came he, he, he actually broke into New Hampshire and started in New Hampshire, and he got on the back of a snowmobile for a winter and had a blast, grabbed the camera as a producer. Him and Glenn Lucas went up and they did a lot of filming and, uh, yeah, Ben had a great time on the back of yeah. that snowmobile, and he was he was having if a lot of fun. If you're dressed right, it's fun. If yeah. you're not dressed right, if you're not dressed you're right, just about die. Yeah, and I think we had that talk, and I think you guys broke them in before they came to New Hampshire, so they had a good feel of yeah, what they, they should little, be doing. They had a little bite on it. Of course, when the uh, first time uh, Ben Shank went up to the top of Mount Washington, I kept asking him if, if they had this in Maine. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and he's yeah. like, "No, I don't think so." so I'm like, "Could you think we can move it to Maine?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the guys were super. I mean, one of the producers actually was on the back of a jet ski with me one afternoon. A back uh, of a jet ski? He was on the back of a, of my jet ski. We wow. Have a, we have jet skis that we patrol with. I'm one of the ones who have one. Wow. And yeah, he's riding around the back of a jet ski. That got, <laughs> a, little, it got a little weird. But, uh, was he hanging on too it tight? It was still fun. <laughs> yeah, Okay, can you ride there with no just like holding on to the jet ski? You can't though. You kind of can't. So yeah, it was fun. I imagine what the fishermen looked like as you were checking them. Yeah. They were probably like, um, he kinda... was the same one that actually was filming when I get bit by the dog. If you remember that episode, I, I, I missed that episode. Yeah, I knocked on a door down at Wells and a pit bull. The door opened by about four inches. Uh huh. And uh, this was on there. I was looking at an illegal dumping that I found a name. Right. In the, in the trial. Following up. Yeah. Knocked on the door, and uh, the door actually wasn't latched. It was like open about four inches, and I could hear this. When you knocked on it. Yeah, I could hear this dog coming. Oh, crap. And by the time I couldn't get to the handle, the dog's head was like right in the door, and it was a <sighs> pit bull. So the little sucker comes running out, and I'm backing up. And the guy who was on the back of the jet ski is filming this from the truck. 
And all you see is like the camera step bouncing because he's running back and trying to climb into the truck. <laughs> Smart cameraman. So the dog, yeah, the dog bites me in the thigh. And fortunately, I'm yelling loud enough so the dog just went running back inside. Oh, good. So he didn't lock his jaws on you. Right, right. Yeah, uh-huh. he never. He just got, you know, he broke skin. He got his, uh, you know, his two fangs in me. But uh, it hurt like crazy. This, yeah, it hurt like, yeah, it hurt like hell. Yeah. But, uh, this cameraman was built like an NFL linebacker, <laughs> big rugged kid, Justin. And uh, you know, you, I gave him so much crap. I go, "Where were you anyway? Huh? I'm getting bit by a dog, and you're running away. How about a little help? He <laughs> don't want to get bit, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm like, how about a little help? So we had some good. Sorry, should, professor. The, uh, the outtakes, the outtakes were great. Yeah, but that's the sort of thing, though. That, you think I didn't give him crap about that? Yeah, everybody or, did. Oh. Uh, no, yeah. no doubt. It's just fun. They are, they are a lot of fun guys. And I, I, but that's I mean, what I remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, once you've been on TV, you know, you're like, wow, I'm on TV. Yeah. And then it kind of goes away. Then it kind of goes away. You're like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, been there, done that. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, every now and then, you know, the guys would come up to be off for a couple months and they'd come up and uh, it's just same guys. Mm-hmm. And it would just fall right back into it. Right. Just roll back into it. And yeah. it's that, that personality that you develop with them and yeah you know that that never changed you know you'd see other guys that were a little different than what you knew Mm -hmm. because but i hey it is what it is with me i just was like and and they know what they want that's the funny part because they had to break me and ben shank yelled at me once he's like i need to film that you know and i'm like okay ben so you know but they weren't that that a true uh you know, intrusive about it at all. No. At least in a... And, and I needed to be yelled at just to let you know. Yeah, so, every now you and know, Every now and then I can be a little thick. Yeah. yeah. They wanted, they certainly had to, you know, their job, they get paid good money to Absolutely. come up and get footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they weren't intrusive about it. And I was new at it. It took a while. You know, you'd write somebody a ticket and it'd get a little awkward because then they'd have to go get a release signed or they'd have to blow yeah. them out. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, you wanna, but, you know, it's funny because there's a lot of people that get tickets that wanted to be on TV. Want to be on TV. Yeah. Want to be on TV. Yeah. Uh, there's people that I think would go out and poach a deer. Thrilled. To, to be, get it. To just want to be, be on, on TV. TV. Yeah. Some of the people I don't want to give anybody any ideas. But. Oh, right. Some of the people, though, you pull up and they'd see the cameras and they would be psyched. Mm-hmm. I mean, psyched to right. see you coming. Mm-hmm. And they take a ticket, you know, for whatever fish without a license. And then Not other people get bit. off my lawn, get up. Yeah, you, know. you get that. It's, you know what's rare, though? It's, it, it was it rare. Yeah. Even for something that, you know, without the cameras. And Maine's still Northwoods Law country. It's it's interesting. I was wearing a hat around yesterday. It's the Northwoods Law. And, you know, they were like, uh, that's a rare hat. And I said, yes, it is. Is that one of the camo ones there with the orange? Or no, this one's different? black. Black, oh, it's, it's pretty yeah. sharp. It's a fairly, it's a newer on the one, but yeah. they are very rare. They are rare. Yes, I have yeah. one. So that's just how I've rare got it one is. sitting on one of my shelves at my house. Really? It's brand new. And I bet you there wasn't 30 of them made, 40 of them. Made. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I'll never wear it. I gave my dad one actually, too. And he's got mm-hmm. it up in his like den. So yeah. Yeah. Kind of no. cool. No, definitely, definitely a neat thing because being a game warden, I never thought would be on TV. Ever. Yeah. Ever. And the I, last thing you thought. And right. you know, you're skeptical about it. You know, mm. they came over in like 11, 12, mm-hmm. and I'm like, God, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. But then you see it, and you know what it kind of turned for me was the kids loved it. Yes. The kids, will, they'd look at you. You know, you'd go, and we did a lot of, like, autograph stuff at Sea Dogs and the Gray Animal Park and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. The kids were thrilled, thrilled to meet you. Right. And it was just so, to me, that was the best part. Right. Get a seven Especially with eight. recruitment, you know, we're having a hard time finding game wardens now. Anybody, but we we yeah. got to create them. 
We yeah, got to get them excited. Yeah, we talked about that. You know, mm. get them out in the youth days hunting and fishing. But yeah. the kids now, I mean, they'd look at you, you'd sign their autograph, or sign the hat, or sign a shirt, and they'd just be so excited. Yes. And that wow. was that to me, that was the really what got me wanting to do it mm-hmm. and what kept me. Nope, I would totally agree. Yeah. That's certainly the, the future for everything, even if yep. they just, that's their experience. So. Yep. And I like to think uh, the Warden's Watch podcast is the behind the scenes of uh, Northwoods Law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's certainly coming. I think, yeah, I think you've got, yeah, I think you've started something that's gonna, uh, gonna go, gonna go places in the uh, podcast realm. I, I hope you're right, Eric. I yeah. hope you're right. Boy, we've talked a lot about, and we've been talking an hour. Which, yeah, we really. Yeah, yeah it, it goes quick, doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah, very different so things. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going through my notes here, trying to think. We got to hit something. On a highlight, regulate. Oh, the sheep story. Oh, my God. Oh, I want to hear the sheep story. I got to tell you the sheep story. Yeah, because that's... I got to... <laughs> Hopefully, it didn't make Northwoods Law. But it should have. It should have. It should have. <laughs> it wasn't wildlife, that's why. It wasn't wildlife. It wasn't a wild sheep, I'll right? I'll tell you the sheep story. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for the sheep story or not. I don't think so. I don't we think so. We didn't summons anybody. It should be all right. I, I think so. I, I think it's fine. Names have been left out to yeah, protect well, it, everybody. Exactly. So back, I don't know how long it was. It was maybe like 2013-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just working. I got a call. Uh, I think a biologist called me. It was, that's how it started was one of the biologists called me and asked me why there was a sheep hanging at one of the local butcher shops with a deer tag. In. And it literally had one of our registration tags. Boy, that, that's a good question. Hang I thought it was a valid question. Yeah. All right. So you got But I can sh- see joke. I mean, that's what, you know, a buddy sticking yeah. his tag on the deer. Yeah, right. I, I can bring see it that. in. Yeah. So uh, I go, I'm like, all right. So I go over to the butcher shop. And sure <laughs> enough, it's a sheep hanging with a deer tag on it. And that so hasn't been cut off. It's fully sealed. It hasn't sealed. been cut off. It's the, de- the sheep had been field dressed. Oh. And if you look, if <laughs> anyone wants to look it up, it was called, come to find out, it was a North American hair sheep. Long story, but that's the, so it doesn't look like a normal sheep. It's a, no, not with a, like woolly hair and stuff, you know. But it was certainly not a deer. Did it have horns? It was white. No. Okay. No, no, not a big ram or anything. No, and the thing only weighed maybe field dress, probably about sixty pounds. Wow, something like that. So I call, uh, I know, <laughs> I call Tim Spy, who actually had the camera crew with him that day, and he uh-huh. was working. So I got the sheep now in the back of my truck mm-hmm. with a tag on it, so we know where, and it got registered. They brought it, the hunter had brought it to the registration station. So he brings down the crew, and we get wired up to investigate this. Right. So we got to find out who shot the sheep, right? <laughs> you know, it's a domestic animal. You can't just whack a domestic <laughs> animal, throw a tag on it, think it's a deer. And bring it to the registration station? Yeah, so, it wasn't uh, your local sporting goods store registration station, no, was it? It was no, like the it was a convenience store. Convenience store. Yeah, and I'm not going to say who. No, I don't want to know who. So, but. Uh, yeah, so we kind of backtrack this. And find out that, indeed, this was registered as a deer. I go back and I found that registration slips in Maine. Mm-hmm. And it's registered as a, a female deer. And it was clearly not a deer. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, I mean, this is a sheep that we have in the back of the truck. Okay? And the film crew was like, this is the best this is the best we've ever had. <laughs> and I'm going, I don't know if it's gonna if it's gonna fly with our administration or not. In fact, I'm not sure if this conversation's gonna fly, but we're gonna uh, continue. Uh. Uh, 
So Tim and I are investigating it. We it's find a use out, of a wildlife tag. Yeah, we find, <laughs> we go back, and uh, we obviously we find the hunter who shot it. Mm-hmm. We go to his house. Now it's like 8 o'clock at night. And yeah. He killed the sheep. I think it was that morning. I'm almost positive it okay. was. So we go there, a nice guy, just a nice guy. Uh-huh. And he goes, he's nervous. I mean, your two game ones show up at your house at 8, yeah. at 8 p.m. Understandable. You're like, hey, what are you guys doing here? Mm-hmm. I go, uh... This is how I started the conversation. I was just, and then you could tell the guy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You could just tell. I go, hey, uh, you know that deer you shot there this morning? He goes, yeah. I go, it was a sheep. <laughs> and it just turns like white. I mean, it just turns white <laughs> at that point. Uh-huh. And the camera's behind us, and he, he wouldn't let the camera inside, uh-huh. which understandably. Yeah. At that point. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, he goes, what? He goes, yeah, yeah it was a sheep. Oh. And we get in there, and he's like, he's just like white. Mm. You know, he'd never killed a deer before. The guy was probably 30. Yeah. Never killed a deer before. So he's telling us a story. <laughs> and the backstory story is, is that a couple of these North American hare sheep had escaped from a farm in like August. Okay. A local farm. And it was gotcha. just, they were just walking around right. the area. You know, they were a little ways away, maybe a couple miles, but mm-hmm. they're just hanging out in the woods. Right. So he's sitting there in the woods, and he sees these two animals come through, mm-hmm. and they're looking at him like 20, 25 yards away. <laughs> he convinces himself, <laughs> and he's looking at these things for like 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> he tells us he convinces himself that they're piebald deer. Piebald deer. Piebald deer. Because they're not all brown. They're not all brown. They must have some white on they them. They get a lot of white. I okay. have a picture of them. I wish I could show uh, you. Uh, I, yeah, we're going to have to look that up on yeah, the internet. It's a North American hair sheep. North American hair They have like a you know a hoof kind of like a deer. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of like a white, really. Okay. They're, so he convinced himself a piebald. <laughs> he shoots one. Uh-huh. He says, I'm going to shoot this piebald deer. Uh, shoots it, kills it. The other one won't leave. The other one hangs up. <laughs> He's telling us he's throwing like uh, like logs at uh-huh. it, you know what I mean? Branches yeah. trying to yeah, get it here. to take off because mm-hmm. he's, you know, the other one won't leave. <laughs> so you kind of feel bad for it, you yeah. know what I mean? So he field dresses it and takes it to the tagging station, gets it tagged mm-hmm. as a deer from this convenience store, takes it to the butcher. The butcher's got deer coming in, doesn't really have time to look. Okay, that's, Somebody that's ends up hanging this thing. <laughs> Which is when the biologist goes in because he does surveys. Right, of, he goes uh, to does all the age CWD surveys, stuff, CWD all that stuff. stuff yep. So that's when I get the call, and uh, you know, we get, while we're at the house talking to this guy, you know, people will keep the empty case. You know, they'll shoot a mm-hmm. deer and like keep the empty rifle case. Yeah. So there's an empty rifle case <laughs> on his kitchen island. I go, is that the case you shot the deer or well, the sheep with? <laughs> <laughs> His wife comes down. His wife's upstairs, like, uh-huh. taking a shower. So she comes down. She goes, hey, what's going on? He tells his wife, he goes, the deer I shot was a sheep. <laughs> you imagine telling your wife that you shot? And you're, you're registered. That was probably his last day hunting. He field-dressed it. He field-dressed it and takes it, yeah. Oh. That never made. That never made the uh, – oh. Tim and I were. Ugh. We knew we weren't going to summons a guy. Yeah. I, I basically knew. I knew the farmer. Yeah. So I go see the farmer the next day. Mm-hmm. And I tell him the story, and he's like, yeah, just give me the sheep. Yeah. He's like, uh. <laughs> and I, we never summoned him. Oh. You know, it was target, but in reality, it's a violation. It's target misidentification. You oh, know, see, shoot. we don't have that law. Well, it's, well, it's shoot. Or in, you know, you have to identify your target, mm-hmm. but it's shooting a domestic animal. 
is right. what the violation would be in Maine. We've had red deer shot that came out of Canada. <laughs> yeah. And actually, uh, after we did the CWD thing, I gave the antlers back to the person that actually shot it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So. A sheep's a little different. The other one we had was shot and left because they, they got up to there and said, oh, that's not a deer. That's not a deer. And they left it. <laughs> yeah. But it's too bad. But, I, I mean, I, you, if you look up what a North American hair sheep is. I'm going to have to now. I'm gonna, I mean, you I got can, my curiosity. I kind for, of. I can't see it, but mm-hmm. it's close. It it's is. Not, I mean, it's. You could see maybe with this. You might be able to talk yourself into shooting. You maybe, one there. maybe if you never shoot, show them before, you're not a real experienced hunter. Right. right. Well, the same with a red stag walking through the woods. You just think yeah. you, you just ran into the biggest, the biggest buck, buck of all time. Of all time. Of all time. And and all excited and yeah, yeah, no doubt. But this uh, this sheep one was was certainly interesting. Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, that's. But a it never made great the show. Story. Never made uh, the show. Maybe we can re, you know, bring it up. I don't think they'll bring it back. You don't think I so? I can't, I can't resurrect it. it. I don't think it's resurrectable. No, just maybe a YouTube podcast. Or YouTube so. podcast. <laughs> but yeah, somewhere that footage is out there. Tim, I had a Tim Spires. My I've been my sergeant, really, really good friend for years. Mm-hmm. Like I think he's been a sergeant for like twelve years. But we've been working together twenty down here uh-huh. from day one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we kind of feed off each other, like humor-wise. We're both yeah. dry, and uh, yeah, we had a blast with that one. Oh, I bet. I bet. We had a blast. So. <laughs> that has to be such good footage, though. <laughs> it's good footage. It's got to be. Oh, but, were, were, know, they, were they were they rolling tape when they told them it was a sheep? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, just know, the, we're the look mic'd. would be classic. We're all mic'd up. Yeah. You know, we got mics on, and in Maine. <laughs> In Maine, it's a one-party consent. Okay, in New so Hampshire, it's, it's dual. It's a two-party. Right. Yeah. I remember yeah, you work, would know. Yeah. yeah, I remember working the drug unit. We used to have mm-hmm. to get a uh, a one-party consent from the DA mm-hmm. in order to wear a wire. Right. But uh, Maine, I can record anybody without them knowing it. Mm-hmm. You know? No, that's uh, that, that's that's a great story. Yeah. So, one of your other great stories uh, that I'm looking through the notes here, the DNA the DNA oh, for the yeah. this this uh, felon case, which uh, yeah, that, this is was pretty actually, stellar. Is a it was a fun case. Uh, so we got in from me. I love the DNA aspect of it. I've mm. always liked been a you treat. like the science. Yeah, the science in it. I took. I had one my one of my best. Okay, prof- professor. Well, <laughs> you, you just went with math instead of you know one of my biology. Best, <laughs> uh, teachers, you know how you remember like one or two teachers growing up. Absolutely, you probably do. I do. Mm-hmm. I'll remember this guy forever. Uh, his name was Bill Lapotro. What grade? Yeah, I had him when I was a uh, sophomore, no, freshman biology, and I had him in junior AP biology okay. at Brewer. Yeah, I, I don't think he's there anymore. He's probably he's got to be retired by mm-hmm. now. Uh, fantastic, and he really taught me so much about teaching and engaging students. Mm, so important, so important. And we had a lot about DNA analysis. Mm. So when this became more of a thing. When I became a cop, I mean, everybody remembers kind of a DNA right. analysis back. And it's just gotten better and better it's and better. It's just gotten better and years. better. So, I'm, so anyway, this case was that uh, we had a bow hunter who was a felon but had a gun. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the other wardens who was actually retired now, really good guy, good warden, John Lonergan. He was a retired UPS driver out of New York and Connecticut. And he mm-hmm. came up and he got hired as a warden in like his late 40s, mid to late 40s. So he was down here for a while. So him and I walk in to try to find this guy. And John sees him. He's like 30 yards out in front of me. Sees him. The guy comes flying down out of a tree stand and just starts running. John chases him for about, I think he took about 30, went about 30 feet and broke his foot. Oh. So he's lit. He broke his foot like right there. He's out of work like two months. 
Uh, this guy takes off like a rabbit in the woods, and I'm no rabbit. So <laughs> I wasn't catching him. So we thought he was a felon at the time with a gun. So right. we're trying to catch him now. He's taking off on us. So we call a state police dog, and I'll never forget this. The longest, one of the longest tracks I've ever been on. We tracked him for like five miles. Wow. Through this like circuitous route through the woods. I'm dying. My feet are sore. The dog's doing fine. <laughs> the trooper was the trooper was a little younger than me, so uh, he did all right. We we were so far that we ended up having to get a ride back in a pickup truck. Wow! But while while we're following this guy on the track, he's dropping like his bow release, his head net, you know, gloves, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, so I'm picking this stuff up. So you know, there's DNA on this bow release. You know, mm. basically anything you have skin contact with, you're leaving some sort of trace evidence. Right. So, you know, I put it's good it you away. thought about that. Yeah. So I put it away. You know, I'm thinking, geez, you know, I'd like to identify this guy. Mm-hmm. We didn't really, we knew kind of what his name, we knew what his name was. Right. But we have no proof. That and he got him. away. And he got away. He gets away. Mm. Somebody probably picked him up. It was cell phones. Yep. You know, somebody picks him up on a road. That's where the track came out. And out. you hate when they get away. Drives you nuts. Mm-hmm. And that's what it really was about, is that the guy got away and a, one of our warrants broke his foot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I do know what you mean. Yeah. Dry, makes, makes me you, want to go get him. Yeah, it makes you mental. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so we follow him around, and I'm getting information from this person who gave me the original information for a couple of weeks. He's here. He's there. Mm-hmm. We're trying to find him. We didn't have a warrant, but I wanted to get some sort of DNA off him. Well, finally... Our, our informant says he's at a bar in New Hampshire, just over the line of like Rochester. So Tim and I spar again. Uh, we dress down, just regular clothes. We have obviously no authority in New Hampshire. So right. we just go over as like people. Mm-hmm. And we see him at the bar. He's sitting at the bar. So Tim and I sit down and watch him for a while and just kind of hang out, act like idiots. This is before Northwoods Law, so nobody knew who we were. Right. And uh, so he finishes his beer and I go up and grab the glass and take it into the bathroom. And uh, I had DNA swabs on me and swabbed the rim for his DNA. Wow. Where he was drinking it. You know, where he was drinking it. This is like it, CSI. Lip contact. I send the re- release in the uh, swab up to the lab and get a match on this guy. From the bow release? From the bow release and the uh, swab on the, on the uh, glass. And ended up getting a warrant for his arrest. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it was a fun case. It really, we did a lot of surveillance with it. And, yeah. You know, just kept... It took a while, but uh-huh. uh, yeah, we caught him. And how did he react when you told him that how you caught him? <sighs> yeah, he was just like, you know, shocked. Yeah, I would have been. But shocked. he'd been in the system for a little bit, right? You know, he, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't giving us anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he went when you <laughs> DNA match. Well, that's how we got him. Having to go into New Hampshire, following right. a guy to a following a guy into a bar and swabbing mm-hmm. his. Uh, and that's how a lot of these cold DNA. cases are being solved now is DNA. Hey, DNA fingerprints. Uh, have you ever known a case where it's solved by fingerprints? No, oh, uh, not in my career. No, I I don't re I don't remember one. If we uh, you know they'd get a burglary in Concord. Mm-hmm. You know would have the ERTs come over and the, with a powder and the whole thing trying to get prints. Right. I don't know of one that ever got solved. Right. I mean I you know I'm not, I was never a detective or anything like that. I never really get that much. But I don't know of one. But DNA analysis. Mm-hmm. I used one last year. I used a. Uh, yeah, last year, two years ago, in a boat crash, there was blood on the center console on the seat. Mm-hmm. And this case has been adjudicated, so I can talk about it. Okay. So there's blood on the uh, seat, the center console, and I had an ERT come down and swab the blood. Yeah. And uh, later, we had enough... ERT is the lab tech? or Yeah, it's an evidence response technician okay. for us. Yeah. And uh, so he comes down and swabs it. So now we get the blood. Mm-hmm. So we get DNA from the blood. 
I end up having enough for a warrant based on witnesses and other things to get a swab, a mouth swab from him, and it matches up. So even though he got into a head-on crash with another boat, leaves the scene, middle mm-hmm. of the night, leaves the scene. So you got a boat. He ran over a boat with a pontoon boat. Wow. Sinks that boat. The people made it to shore. It wasn't a fatality. That's good. And uh, he takes off. Uh, statement said he was intoxicated. There was another guy in the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we ended up getting enough for a warrant for his mouth swab. So we did a warrant and a mouth swab and matches. The blood that was on the steering console and the seat matched his. Went to trial. But, you know, how do you say you weren't there? Right. When how do you say you weren't there? Blood is right there. When your blood is right there. And right at the driver's seat. Yeah. It did a... Uh, I did a, a photo lineup on somebody who was, uh, and he he ID'd him. Mm-hmm. You know what a photo lineup is. I says, do. Okay, this All one, six, depending how many yep. pictures you want. Yeah, and then six the people. ID him. Says, is this was the guy who was in the boat. I had an independent witness that says he had a cut on his head. So all these things. Right, added up. Add up to a good investigation. Mm-hmm. That puts him behind the wheel during the boat crash. Right. So sometimes you don't get him right then, but if you do it right, and you do a good investigation, you can get them. Uh, absolutely. And taking those samples is Yeah, the DNA. It's DNA. Crucial. DNA. Yeah. You know? And we do that with deer. We do it with moose. Oh, we do, do it with, with bear. Deer. Yeah. So we have labs that do the same type of yep. thing. We're uh, funny you mention that. I write grants for our department. And uh, one of the grants last year, I wrote with one of Well, them. you are a professor. Grant writer. I just like staying Teacher. busy. I like staying busy. <laughs> there is no doubt, Eric. I mean, uh, you're going to keep talking. I'm going to keep on peeling this onion. We get this. Uh, <laughs> so we ended up getting the University of Maine and Machias wants to bring. They did it at UMO for a long time. But mm-hmm. the guy who did it, his name was uh, Irv uh, Cornhouse or something like that. Yeah. We uh, sent some samples there as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. But when he passed away, Cornfield. Oh, yes. When he passed away, uh, a lot of that program kind of went away. Uh, so University of Maine and Machias is trying to reinvigorate it. Nice. Of, a, of DNA analysis, and they're hoping to be almost like a regional. Uh, I think like, we're contributing like, as well as New yeah. Hampshire. Well, OGT wrote him a check for seven grand. Mm. Uh, Outdoor Heritage, Maine Outdoor Heritage Fund. We got another, another 7000 just to kind of get this program started. Right. DNA is crucial to. Absolutely. To criminal investigation now mm-hmm. in, in today's whether well, it's today's criminal world. or wildlife anything DNA is what it's all about mm-hmm. it's hard to argue with it right you're always leaving something there you're leaving something that's there. why dogs can follow you through the woods because you're leaving something you're there. leaving something there they're smelling I love it. DNA is like uh, such an important mm. investigation tool yeah they forget fingerprints. <laughs> I mean, I, I just don't even know why we do it. And, and you know, things I mean, are coming up: are facial recognition, facial, so, retina scans. Yeah. There, there is so many things that are they're coming for identification purposes. So, really is and that, it surveillance cameras. Yes, I mean, I had a uh, you know with a crash reconstruction. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple of cases where the crash was caught on a house surveillance cam. Wow, uh, or portions of the crash or pre-crash mm-hmm. on Great. surveillance cameras. Yeah. I mean, there's so much stuff out there that, you know... You and in this day and age, you're being probably... I tell everybody, plan like you're being videotaped. Just plan... You're being videotaped. You're being videotaped. Yep. You're being so videotaped. that's how you perform your life. That's like how it being, is. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know... Or I mean, fortunately. Yeah, in you certain know, circumstances. I, I guess I don't care. You know, if the government's spying on me, it's all these... You uh, know, you're not going to find anything it, on I, me. I got nothing. Yeah, go ahead. Spy. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like going. It's like going to the uh, airport for security. Yeah, yeah. You want me to walk through this so this plane doesn't get blown up? Yeah, I'm good with. I'm it. good with it too. Yeah. Okay. What do you want? Anything you want. Anything I'm here you to help. Want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Are you invading my privacy? Don't worry. It about doesn't it. matter. Okay, you're keeping me safe. That's exactly right. I yeah. want to know what I get on that plane. Exactly. Everybody's gone through yeah. it. You got a question about what's in my bag? Go through you my just bag. Just have at it. Yeah. Have if I have an empty bottle of water, which I did once, you know, throw it out. Throw it out. Uh, I screwed up. I forgot what was in my bag. Yeah. I mean, that's so. the world we live in now. Yeah. You know. uh, for it's sure. But uh, again, I, I don't care. Uh, you're here to make me safe. Uh, Absolutely. You're here to catch the bad guys. Uh, the, the, the innocent people don't have to worry. They don't have to worry. No. If you don't have anything to hide, you're not doing anything wrong, go ahead. Yeah. No worries. You can be videotaped. No you can be recorded. Do whatever you want. You can, you can go on a plane without a problem. Yep. The trail cameras in the woods scare me because I have a tendency to have to use a bathroom. <sighs> There's no, have you ever, yeah, no doubt. You get a lot of trail cameras in the woods. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got I a, I got a funny story out of somewhere. I got a funny story out of Tennessee. That this, I, I went to Tennessee once and I got involved with the wardens and they invited me to their Christmas party and they have like a a horse's ass type of. Um, award they give out at their christmas party yeah. and i'll never forget this story because uh this guy you know he he had to use the bathroom on the highway so he pulls over and he jumps the the the, the, the fence there and goes in the woods there and he, he's getting done his business and he forgot toilet paper well he brought his bag and he had his ticket book so he decides he can oh, use, nice. use his tickets yeah, so yeah. he uses his tickets to clean up but when he does this he hears a little giggle and he looks up and here's one of these outdoor women in a tree stand, oh, very no. close proximity oh, to him. No. Yeah, so that's a good story. That's and it sticks in my mind. It'll yeah. stick in my mind forever. I'm sorry I shared. I didn't share any names or no, anything like story. that. Yeah. But that is a great story. But that's yeah. we, we didn't have uh, the cameras as much yeah. as we do now. Then, but you know, every oh, now it's and then, crazy. The trail cameras are all over the they, place. They are walk in the woods, and it's it's hard to sneak in on any illegal stuff now. Legal baits. Mm-hmm. How many illegal baits do you go on? I mean, we can't bait deer in Maine. So, yeah. You know, everybody's got a trail camera. On. Right. Well, sometimes two or three. Two or three. Absolutely. And so I have, you find one I put a, trail, a camera on my camera. Right. So in I, case somebody steals exactly, the camera. Exactly. So I can get them. Yeah. It's like a no limit for how many cameras are out there. It's, it's nuts. It, it is. Yeah. It's, it's so true. Yeah, it's uh, certainly interesting. Well, uh, the, uh, it's uh, law enforcement changed so much. Uh, and it's changing. In 25 years. It'll change in the next 20. I don't know what we're going to do about recruitment. Yeah, that's taking a dive. Just a dive. Yesterday, we, uh, from what I understand, we uh, gave 35 people the written test to be a main game. 35. 35. People. 35. That's what it is. I, I took the main game warden test, too. And yeah. I, I, I think there was like 800. 800. When I applied back, I want to say it was 90, I think it was 97. It was mm-hmm. right about that, between 750, 800. Yeah. Yeah. And I had been testing all over the country to be a game warden. And yeah. my final ones, I was I had a final interview with in Maine. I had a final interview in New Hampshire. I had a final interview in Virginia. And guess what? New Hampshire called me first, and I grabbed That's it. That's where you go. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, It's just nuts. And to mm. think that only 35 people... From you know, either a qualified plus or years interest. ago, eight hundred. Yeah, I mean, what happened? Crazy, you know, even in police work, mm-hmm. Maine State Police has like a, a rolling enrollment. I mean, basically, they're taking applications anytime, all the time, all the time, evaluating people, mm-hmm. and you can't lower your standards. No, that you cannot no. do that. 
Because no, you, you don't you want... You won't get the quality people that you need. You're not going to get the quality... You have to have mm-hmm. quality, trustworthy people in mm-hmm. law enforcement positions. Absolutely. Period. Absolutely. It makes me sick when I hear something around the country of some sort of police corruption, lying, mm-hmm. uh, anything like that. Because, yep. yeah, I mean, uh, you know, all you have really is your integrity. Absolutely. So, Oh, I would agree. Well, thanks, Eric. Blanchard. Yeah, you go, <laughs> man. Huh? Main warden service. Uh, Always a pleasure talking. Always a pleasure hanging out with you, Eric. This is what I love about this podcast is I get to keep coming back to people I know, hanging out with them, having a discussion about what we love to do. Yeah. No, it's a great conversation. It's good to see you again. I'm glad you're uh, having success with this. Well, great. Thank you. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.